Hey, listeners, before we start, we wanted to let you know about a special opportunity to connect with us at Together for the Gospel in Louisville, Kentucky, April 11th through 13th. On Thursday, April 12th, join us for lunch from 12 to 145 at the Ice House Event Center. ABWE is co-sponsoring a lunch for any mission-minded T4G attendees, and we'll have a power-packed lunch panel addressing biblical resources for a globalized world with experts like the IMB's VP of Training, Zane Pratt, David Sills of Reaching and Teaching, Rick Denham of Nine Marks, Darren Carlson of Training Leaders International, Bill Walsh of the Gospel Coalition, and Scott Dunford of ABWE. You'll also have a chance to hear from ABWE President Paul Davis. And a special thanks to Baptist Haiti Mission for their role in putting together this panel. So space is limited, just $6 to get in. Grab your tickets now at bhm.org T4G. That's bhm.org T4G. And we'll see you in Louisville on Thursday, April 12th at Together for the Gospel. Welcome to the Missions Podcast, the show that explores your hard questions on missions, theology, and practice. I'm Alex Kochman here with Scott Dunford, and we have a personal friend of yours here joining us today. Uh, I'm excited uh, because uh, just of her unique cultural background, her personal experiences, and so I don't want to waste any time at all, uh, and I especially don't want to waste any time talking about the bizarre stench that's in our recording studio here today. I'm trying to get my mind off of that. Uh, it's terrible. We do have this beautiful candle here burning iced oatmeal cookies, uh, so that hopefully that'll help, but we don't... It does not smell like iced oatmeal cookies in here. It smells like burned <laughs> death. So, on that note, <laughs> why don't you introduce our guest to us? Well, I'm excited to have <laughs> an old friend of mine and uh, someone who have just been a great partner in ministry for a number of years, Lena Abujamra. Um, say that again? Did I say that right, <laughs> Lena? I, 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 you did, you did. Yeah. Um, Lena Abujamra. Years of training, um, Years of training. You, know, you the, get cooler every time you say that, Scott. Well, the, the cool one of the, one of the things I think is cool about Lena is that someone with that name is a Green Bay Packers fan, and that's a long story. <laughs> I don't, I don't think that's to, cool. I, I don't, don't want to steal all of her thunder, but Lena is a is a longtime friend. Um, I, I can't help but for, think of her mostly as a, a Christian camp lifeguard that my little brother, <laughs> uh, who was probably about seven or eight at the time, had a crush on. Um, <laughs> and that's how, how we kind of got to know her. <laughs> working, at a, <laughs> working at a Christian. How different my life would have been. <laughs> <laughs> what does that a, say that this episode's also about singleness? We know that didn't work out. <laughs> uh, but we're at a Christian camp together. Um, um, we've been able to partner in ministry in a couple other ways later, but she's an accomplished author. She's got several books out. She's a well-known speaker, um, and uh, her, her ministry, Living with Power, we can talk about that more at the end of the end of the, the show, um, but also has been very involved in, in medical missions. So she's a medical doctor and uh, has been able to use that in some very unique ways. And I don't want to steal any of her thunder, so I'll just go ahead and turn it over to her. But welcome, Lena. We're so thankful that you could be on the show. Oh, it's so, so good to be with you guys. I, and it's great catching up with you, Scott. This is really an honor. Um, it is crazy. <laughs> uh, it's just, God has done a lot, you know, and you sort of, you mentioned I'm an old friend of yours. And so focused on old, it's been a lot of years in the making, all of the story, but, um, yeah. Yeah. So, so well, we want to get into. I want. We're going to talk today about singleness and missions, particularly, and and you've you've written quite a bit about that and spoken on that many times. But your book Thrive kind of deals with uh, this idea of how can single people be effective in ministry. But before we do that, I would love you to just to. I, I love your story. Um, I like it because you know we've, we've intersected at a couple points in that story. But I would love to hear the people that tell your story of where you came from and how God has led you to the point of the ministry you're currently. 
doing. Absolutely. Yeah. And it's funny, you never expect what your life is going to turn out like. Uh, and, and I think back, I mean, you and I go such a ways back and it's really where so much started in my life. I, I Of course, my name sort of gives it away. I'm, I'm from another country. That's a bit of an unusual name. Um, and so I grew up in Lebanon. My family's Lebanese. And my mom came to Christ in her college years and then married my dad, who was a sort of a cultural Christian. They were Christian in name, you know, Greek Orthodox background, uh, which was actually my mom's background too. And so um, he he was a surgeon and was very hands off bringing up the kids. And so really my mom brought us up in the church. And so my sort of, sort of my formative years are very, very traditional Christian, went to Sunday school, American pastor and his wife and came to Christ at a young age. In fact, I remember my mom telling us the gospel story and giving my life to Jesus when I was just, a, you know, seven-ish years of age. But things started to change, you know, in, in Lebanon, our life was so focused back in the 70s and 80s. There was a civil war in Lebanon of massive proportion. And so it was always in the news as a dangerous place to be. And and so our focus in the faith was much about God protecting us. And, and just, you know, we were part of a great church body. And after the American population had to leave Lebanon in the 80s, we ended up in a Lebanese church where actually my dad came to Christ as well. And so we moved about three or four years after my dad's conversion, which I think looking back was such, such a God thing. Uh, for our family. My dad really grew in the faith when we moved. And a lot of it was where we landed, not just because we landed in Green Bay, which is an anointed land where the Packers play, but <laughs> but also because we were an hour from this camp that really ended up shaping my life so much. And Scott and I met there in uh, Northland Camp, which um, at the time had a Bible college and now is, is a camp. And I love that place so much. Uh, I've gotten a chance to serve on the board at one point when, when the college was up and running. And um, But camp changed my life, really the Lord changed my life, but it happened at camp. And I think it was the first time I felt, I knew intellectually God had sent Jesus to die for my sin. I understood that as a child, I grew up knowing that. And I, I really had given my life to Jesus, but, but at camp, I felt like that was the first time where I felt this personal interaction with God, so to speak. I felt like God saw me, knew me, wanted me, and I gave my life to him. And I was 16, I think at the time. And really that encounter that I had at camp shaped everything. I started asking God, what do you want to do with my life? Not so much, how am I going to live my life? And, and it really changed everything. And, uh, so I kept going back and I was a lifeguard at one point, I was a counselor at another and, and sort of all through, I think when I stopped like in med school, I couldn't go back to camp anymore because I had to do my training. And that's when I stopped going to camp, but, um, learned so much of God's word there, saw God working in people's lives and became hungry to see God do God things at camp. And so I, I'm such a proponent of that. And it was a mission camp. So it really ties into all of that. So this is sort of the beginning of the story. I'll take a little breath here and see where, where we're going with this. But just sort of gives you a flavor you know, of, of sort of where I came from. And, and God just, just started really actively working in my life when I said, yes, Lord. It's interesting as we minister to young people, whether that's children or teenagers, we have no idea how those little interactions will end up playing into mm -hmm. that bigger picture, you know, and that's a good reminder. I'm sure, I'm hey, sure the, the leaders and camp staff that were working with you at that well, time didn't understand all that yeah, God was going to do through that. I, the guy who was the, the, the preacher um, at the camp session that really, when I, you know, we were given an invitation that where they asked us to go outside and just take some time and pray with the Lord. And it was just a very, it was a leadership 
two week stint. My mom basically dropped us at camp that summer. She was like, okay, bye. See you guys. And when anything, well, that's what camp's for, right? Yeah. I mean, just see, you know, now I'm watching my sister bring up my nephews and I think that's a great parenting strategy. Just stop them at a camp somewhere. And it's crazy. You know, it's so hard. You don't feel like you're making any, I'm spending the week with my nephews this week and you, you never feel like you're making any headway bringing up kids, but God is at work even when you don't think he is. And so here I was as a camp and I remember Marty Vaughn preached this message. I don't remember what he spoke on, but I'm sure knowing him, it had to do with surrender and giving your life to the Lord in every aspect. And I, I just wanted whatever you're talking about. I wanted the Lord. And I, I think back about how that is the theme that keeps coming back in our life. The way to stay close with the Lord is to, every time he presses you a bit, every time there's a bit of a movement of the spirit, is just to say, yes, God, I just want more of that. And, and you don't have to do it perfectly, but the more you say yes, the more God just takes you to, you know, bears more fruit and opens more doors. And, and so I still keep in touch with Marty and he um, will check up on me every few weeks. And I just think that he's been such a great mentor that way, just praying for me and, and just teaching the word of God unapologetically. And I think that's really what shaped me in those early years. So you're a medical doctor, um, you're yeah. working in Chicago and, and yet now God has really brought some very unique opportunities in ministry. So what, what are you doing now in ministry? Yeah, the big shift in my path, I guess, happened in my, between my residency and my fellowship. My, um, goal, I guess, I, in, in this context of, well, you know, you always think you come to God, you say yes. And then you think, well, now I got to come up with a plan because now I'm on God's page. So I got to figure this out. And so, you know, I guess in my mind, I was in a medical family and we had high expectations in our family as to like, like it or not, you're going to become some form of doctor. And so, you know, or some branch of it. And everyone in my family is doing something related to some profession related to healthcare. So, you know, I, I sort of ended up um, studying pre-med in college, went to med school. And 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 I guess I thought you'd, I'd be a missionary doctor because what else do doctors do who want to serve God fully? And sort of started banging on doors and found out in my residency that the only way you could truly do that is to raise support. And I thought, oh my gosh, there's no way I can do that. We were Lebanese. We were, you know, not that long into the country. My dad had paid for my college and med school because that's what Lebanese dads do, you know, and it wasn't like, like he, you know, it's just, that's, that's our culture to, to a certain degree. I always tell people like, you know, where God births you impacts so much of your life. And if you were born in my family, you'd be a doctor today and, 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 and your school would have been paid for. So it's some gifts that God just grace and, and just stuff that I never planned on or thought about at the time. And now I look back and think, man, just so much opportunity. But one of the things we had been taught at camp is of who much is given, much is demanded. And so I always strove to just do as much as I can for the Lord and just balancing that with a life of faith where you're not working hard to impress God. And so many, so much of the years that God trains you is that, is that balance of doing for God without relying on your works. But anyway, in my, in my residency, I, I, I went through this big, you know, got engaged. And in my family, we also didn't date a lot. And so when I did date, I, I, I felt like, well, I have to get married if this is a serious relationship. And so quickly we became engaged and, and two weeks before the wedding that ended. And, and the worst part of it wasn't just that, but there was, I had a guy best friend for 10 years and, and, and we were, I was emotionally, I think more reliant on him than I realized even at the time. And I, I, you know, I thought in my head that God would restore that relationship relationship. And when he didn't, when the Lord did not, um, I really sort of had to have it out with the Lord. I don't know how else to say it, but it was really a big sort of crisis of saying, do I believe that God is good or not? And, 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 and we hit those crises many times in our Christian life, but that was a big one. And it was the first time that I sort of had to come up face to face with God and be like, God, I did my part and you're not pulling yours. And so, uh, God just walked me through this much like he did with 
Jacob, I feel like I was sort of a wrestling match for a while. It was sort of a, you know, a, a silent treatment from my side for a while. And then I, I, I as I continued to delve into the word of God, because I, I was a good girl, I, I read the Bible every day and, and God somehow took those words from the pages of the minor prophets and just just gently put them in my heart. And I remember when I landed on Hosea 2.14, just feeling like the story was so me. And it became really a, a sort of theme for me, even as I've written my books. It, the verse really talks about how God leads us into the wilderness and changes the valley of trouble into a place of hope. And it was the beginning of a new sort of season, I think, where I sort of started thinking, okay, God, if this is your, you know, you said no to this. Well, I just heard Jill Briscoe speak and she makes this big point of obedience is saying yes to the no's. God said no to a relationship. Would I still be willing to say yes? And, and it was in that season that I started teaching a Sunday school class and God called me to what I felt like was Bible teaching ministry at that time. And so here I was, I was a doctor. And so how do you be a doctor and a Bible teacher? I had no idea, but I, knew that I wanted to do that. And so I just said yes to every opportunity God would open up. Like, Hey, you want to speak at this retreat? Yeah, I will. And I, you know, I just studied the word. I taught up Sunday school class. I got engaged in my church. I mean, I mean, I just got as involved as I could where I was and just gave him everything I had. And, and, and it turns out it's true. If you use the talents he gives you, he'll open more and, and you don't see it at the time. I spent years just questioning God, is this the plan that you have? And was I wrong in my calling? I wrote a book at one point called Script, when God's call turns from yes to why me? That's probably the most popular book I've written for people in missions because so much of this call to surrender, you know, you start off so excited, so hopeful of all God's going to do with ample expectations. And then you sort of hit the season of training where God is shaping you to be what he's prepared you to be. But you don't see that. You just see this delays and waiting and disappointments and, and rejections. And you just sort of knock your head against the wall and go, what in the world have I gotten myself into? And so, but so that was my end of my, in my fellowship was when, you know, I, I, I just had more focus. I, I already felt like God wanted to do something with my life, but now I was like, okay, he wants me to do this. And now how does this work out? And, and it became sort of this dance in the past 20 years of saying yes to God. And whenever I hit walls of, of sort of what is happening here, just having people in my life speak truth to me and reminding me of the call and going back to the word where God has said, you know, here's, here's what I've called you to not, not to be popular on Twitter, not to sell a lot of books, you know, not to, you know, do X, Y, Z, whatever we fill in to be the call, but, but, but to, to be in such a deep relationship with me and to be so faithful to the study of the word so that when the opportunity happens, you might not see it today, but, but someday you look back and see God use those um, moments of, of, of mission and ministry. And so, yeah, it's, it's, it's an interesting decade to do ministry in because it's easy to question what God is doing in your life when you're focused on all God's doing in other people's lives. Well, um, Thank you for joining us today. Uh, you've already convicted us. So <laughs> we're just sitting here listening to your story. And already um, uh, it, it's so great to hear all of that. Uh, I've been chewing on that passage a lot lately myself. Um, the one that you mentioned, you know, to whom much is given, much is required. Um, so maybe that's as good a transition as any into what made you want to specifically write a book about singleness? I did not actually. <laughs> okay, so that was one of the that was one of the yeses you were saying no to. I remember going to my church in Jacksonville during that season when God was was calling me to ministry, and that's where I first taught the Bible in the fashion that I teach it now, where I took a text and just exegeted it and, and taught it, like go through a book of the Bible, and and it was just I fell in love with that. And I remember though the reason that I was even in a women's Bible study was that there was no way I was going to the single stuff. I just would I, I would hover by the door and look in and go. 
oh my gosh, not for me. I'm running away. And it was like this typical picture of like a bunch of singles struggling around the guys on one side, the woman on the other, you know? And so there's a, a lot of these, you know, some are, you know, great singles, but you don't know because on the outside, they just look like single, single for a season versus single for a reason. And I always was in churches <laughs> that had more single for a reason. And so it just was like, I was like, I can't do this. And so I, I ended up in women's ministry and I, and I was like sort of hiding from the whole singles thing. But the truth is I was single and I had, God had worked a single story in my life. I was, I had this heartbreak and this broken engagement and, and uh, ironically, 10 years later, I got engaged again and that ended it as well. And so, so the story that was being written was a God story that I didn't have anything to do with that I did not want. And so I was blogging actually. And I started a blog because I was started my career in medicine in Chicago and God again, pointed me direct. I mean, I knew I was supposed to be there, but I landed there and I thought, what in the world was he thinking? Because I don't see evidence of where I'm supposed to be used. And here I thought God was going to open these doors to teach the Bible. And instead I was in this desert season and I ended up in a church where, but, but God would surprise me every so often I'd get this invitation to speak that would remind me like, I'm not crazy. Like he, he does have a plan. And so, so at the time I thought, well, I can't sing, I can't play a musical instrument, but I can communicate. That was my gift. And so I, everyone would had, it was early adopters of not innovators, but early adopters in the blogging world. John Acuff had launched a blog. Mike Hyatt was sort of teaching people how to blog. And so I came in early on and started a blog. Um, and it was sort of a place for, I was at the time, I think by then I was teaching, uh, at Sunday school class at a church in Chicago. And, and this was for me sort of, a an obvious transition to connect with people. I sort of could see that. And, and so I started writing and I would write, you know, not at that frequently until I read enough Michael Hyde. And then I was writing daily and, and all I was writing about was faith and life and sort of the things that I teach now, but I was learning how to communicate them in that season. I think I must have written some things about singleness at one point, not a lot. It wasn't the purpose of my blog. My blog was geared to, to provide biblical resources for everyday life, biblical truth for everyday life. So I was sort of thinking more the practical nature of how to apply the word of God. And, and I, um, and I remember I, 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 get, I got an email from someone at Moody and honestly, I thought it was sort of a, one of those spam emails. I deleted it. And uh, I think at that time I was also leading the women's ministry at Harvest Bible Chapel. I was early in my time there, but I, I landed, I came to work that day and I told my assistant, I said, I think this is a spam. I'm not sure. And I showed her the email and it was this, this publisher from Moody who wanted to ask me if I'd ever written a book on singleness. And I thought, remember I was writing daily by then on a blog. And so I was teaching a Bible study. I felt called to ministry. So she could have told me, well, you write about turtles. And I would have said yes. <laughs> <laughs> and and really, you probably didn't realize how unusual that is to have a publisher ask you to write rather than the reverse. Yeah, I'd like that problem. <laughs> well, you know what it is in hindsight. It's funny because I've, I've not written bestsellers. And now that I understand the publishing industry and even trying to get more books out, every time I think I get discouraged by the process, I think, you know what? And not one of my books have I, every one of them got has really provided the publisher that way. And so I think if God wants you to do something, he'll, he'll show you and point you and, and make it obvious. But yeah, this, that's another chapter we might or might not talk about, but this intricacies of the world of ministry has been a challenge. I think for me, um, it's, it, 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 and some of it is, it, a lot of it is God ordained. I mean, the challenge is meant to be, it's teaching us dependence on the Lord, but it can, man, it can feel like a lot of rejection for a long time, but early on God provided those, those, those doors that were open and continues to do so. But sometimes you don't recognize the craziness of the door. And so this was one of them. And so I met with them and I thought, um, in my head, I thought, oh man, a book on singleness, like, what do I have to say on it? And so I thought, well, yeah, I'll, I'll have a meeting with them. And I, I met with these gals and went home and thought about it. And it was just such a natural process. I saw my life. I saw what God had done. I saw 
the points that I had learned, the, the principles. And, and so the book was so easy to write. I mean, I think I wrote it in a month and I, I say it, I mean, I had lived it, I had lived it for 15 years. And so it was really just a matter of getting the words on, on page and, um, and so, yeah, the ministry to singles was born. The radio aspect to singles sort of was the same way. I, I, I actually had approached Moody. I was doing these, a lot of podcasting and, and Bible teaching podcasts and blogs and things like that. And I thought it'd be great to be on the, on the radio. And I, so I met with them and they kind of laughed at me and was like, yeah, if we need you, we'll, we'll ask you. And, and I went home kind of with my tail between my legs and I thought, okay, fine. I'll just, I'll just keep on iTunes. Yeah, I'm not going to be a radio girl. And I, and it wasn't even, I didn't even have this, this huge ambition. It just seemed like, like something that I might do well in. And so, so, uh, uh, but two years later, Moody comes back to me. And at the time I had sort of this idea of doing these faith filled couple of minutes slots, sort of like Mary Welchel had. And they came back to me and said, no, we actually are interested. And they forgot that I had approached them. I don't think they even remembered that meeting, but they were like, Hey, we'd like you to do something for singles. And I, again, same reaction. My first response was, Lord, really? I'm going to be that single girl. Like I can't just, and I, and I went home and prayed about it and, and sort of same thing, gave them a token meeting at first and thought I'll convince them otherwise. And then came back a month later and said, okay, I'll do it. And now we're in our third year. We're on 204 stations, I think of last count and getting just much email from singles who are just blessed by a 60 second. Of course, I've been talking here for a while now. You can see I can <laughs> cram a lot in 60 seconds, but 60 second episodes that run throughout the day on a variety of stations throughout the United States. So it's been a blessing to see God grow this singles ministry. That's only a part of all that I do right now. Uh, but yeah, it's fun. You could probably have a long discussion on challenges of doing ministry as a single person. I mean, I, I've been aware of some of the challenges yeah. you face, but then, you know, I talk to missionaries regularly and we have some amazing single people uh, that work in ABWE. And I know that there's, I, I, and I've also worked with amazing single people that work with other agencies. Um, it's amazing what God does in, in missions through single people, but but there's challenges for sure. So what are some of the myths? If you're going to, because we're going to have people who are listening to this. I, I, I really hope that, yes, single people listen in. But I really feel like married people need to listen because um, sometimes it's a world that we're not as, as understanding of and then not able to, to minister effectively in the community that God gave us. Um, yeah. And so, yeah, I think. Um, yeah, I, I, exactly. I understand where you're going with this, Scott. And I think I think, listen, I think uh, probably a myth or. Uh, the, the most dangerous thing is, is to think that God can't use a person if they're single as much as they, he says he could if they were married. And it's ironic because I think you're right. I think about the pros and cons of being single in the ministry, and I think there's more pros than cons. And by the way, the Apostle Paul agrees. But but Jesus we can talk about agree. that. And really, I really do. I think I think in terms of freedom and time, and, and I mean, I get so much done. People always ask me, how do you do this? And I'm like, one answer, I'm single. Like, it's, it's not much more complicated than that. I can accomplish things that married people might not be able able to simply because of the nature of life and, and, and the responsibilities. Like I don't have to cook a meal. I can just eat whatever, a piece of bread with cheese. I can have a bowl of cereal, you know, married people, like if you did that for your husband day after day, I mean, it would cause some marital strife after a while. And, and your kids, I think it would be like a mutiny, but little things like that, practicalness, I don't have to take anyone to school or to band or to this. So, um, but I think there's this myth that like, I find it particularly, um, so with men who are single, like, I don't think the church recognizes the gift of male, you know, single males that could be exploded for the gospel. I really don't. And I, I think you, you almost get away with it as a woman who's single. Um, everybody thinks, okay, you can be a missionary because you're single and you're a woman. You can go wherever. I mean, people sort of think, okay, that's doable, but a guy and like, we just can't wrap our minds around it. We think, well, you'd be so much more effective if you were married. And, and I certainly think there may be benefits, you know, to marriage, but I think, 
I think that we're missing out as a church when we sort of block that. You can't be a pastor as well if you're single, like because you might not understand the couples. You might not, but you might understand 52% of the American population right now. And very much likewise, moving across the world now. I go to Lebanon regularly, and there are many, 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 many single people in the church that are just hungry to be told that you can be used for God and for the kingdom as a single person. And, um, and so I think that's a huge thing to overcome right there. Well, it's true. Cause if you think about it, how many single male uh, pastors do you see? It's almost a, a hiring requirement that someone be married. Yeah. And in fact, in, in fact, yeah, in fact, even singles groups have married pastors. I mean, right. it's common for me to go speak to singles groups with 25 year old married men with two kids. And you're like, I'm, you know, there's automatically this sort of barrier that goes up and it's not, I mean, it's, it's, it's hard for both parties. It's hard for that married young man, you know, to, and God's word applies to all situations. So I think it's, you can still, I mean, it's, it's not like, it's not going to work. It's just, there's so there are so many people that are gifted in the church that might get married someday. You don't know when it's 40, 50, 60. We don't know. We just miss out is if as a church, we have this mindset that, okay, you're great now, but you'd be greater if you were married. Well, we've taken that biblical requirement for, you know, elders to be a one woman man. And we've turned that into a requirement to be married, um, which is right. not what it is. Um, well, right. I, so your book thrive. Um, I mean, I think even just the title of it says it, that you didn't want to just write another book on singleness. You really wanted to write something that would be a blessing to people who are single. Um, something you mentioned in the first chapter is just that nothing happens in your life that is outside the will of God. Um, so something that I would wonder is, you know, how, how, as you've wrestled through maybe your singleness and how God has used you and clearly he's given you a, a, a great capacity to serve, uh, that a lot of people probably don't even have, um, how, how did grasping the sovereignty of God change your view of singleness uh, and understanding yeah. that, that God's will is, is what's played out in your life? Yeah, I, I think so much on this issue of sovereignty as it relates, like people can get so, so theological about it. So you have people in the church that are like, well, this is, God is sovereign, but it's all about my decision. And I think how much pressure you put on yourself. Like I, I, I did not grow up in an era where, I mean, we were kids in Lebanon and we watched the war and then we moved to the States and you know, I wasn't like, my dad wasn't a pastor and we were in church a lot. We got a lot of Bible and all, you know, Sunday morning, Sunday night, Sunday school, Wednesday night. I mean, we had it all, but I, I, I don't know that I ever you know, grew up with as now as an adult and social media, I see all of the, t the discussions theologically in the church on the sovereignty of God. And I think, gosh, I was so blessed from, from reading all this because I just grew Less up baggage. with this <laughs> biblical view of, well, listen, with this biblical view that God is in control. Yeah. God is in control. Like, like it doesn't get any more basic than this. You look at the word of God, you look at life, you look at what the insanity of war and, 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 and disasters that happened for me growing up, it was in front of our eyes. Like there's no explanation outside of how did, were we so safe? Like we, we spent, you know, all my growing up years till 15. I mean, I, all of it, like you look at my dad's story, he grew up in a little village in South Lebanon, like to, to, to think that anything that he, he could have done with it, it would have ensured his, he went and trained at the Mayo Clinic as a, I mean, he would, shouldn't have even gone to school. His parents had nothing. His dad like made bricks for construction. He wasn't even in construction. He just made the bricks. Like, and you think, 
It, there's no truth outside of the sovereignty of God that God is in control of all things, good, bad, he's in control. And so I grew up with a sense of that. I don't know that I even had a pastor get up and say, well, we believe this theologically. Now I still look back and think, what a grace. And I think it's because it's true. Like I, and I, now I look at all the things that I've done in my life and the mistakes that I've made and how God has still used me. And, and on a day by day basis on my own sense of unholiness and constant struggle for holiness. And I think only God could do what has happened in my life, what has happened, what happens in the world, on, on, and on, and on. You see, you can take it. So now you apply that to singleness. And I think, man, how do you, I mean, singleness is really at the heart of it about disappointment. I'm a happy single. And if there's still, you have to work through disappointment. And so much of life is we get stuck on our disappointments. And, and there's this wrestling match with God. Of, again, you go back to, are you willing to say yes to the no's? And unless you believe in that God is in control, and now you add to it that God is good and he's in control. I just don't know how you can get through life. And, and the good news is that God is good and God is in control. And so now you approach singleness and you go, and this isn't the worst thing that has happened to me. On the contrary, this must be the best thing that can be in Lena's life. And God is going to use it to some extraordinary way, unless he chooses to bring someone in my life. And when he does, will I be willing to say yes, if that were to happen? Because again, you go back to the fact that it would be within the context of God's will. I think Nancy Lee, the most Wolgameth now played that out so wisely uh, years, a couple of years ago when she went from this, I'm called to singleness for my life to now God has brought this man and I'm willing to say yes. And so I don't know that, you know, I've ever felt this immense call to singleness, but I, I can certainly believe that God wants me to be single today. And, uh, and it's because he is, uh, sovereign and in control. And could he bring him? And by the way, so much freedom to know if God wanted me to get married this week, he'd have a guy at my door today, if that were his will. And I truly in my core believe that. And I know it seems like a stretch. People are like, well, you're not on eHarmony. I don't need to be. I hear stories like this all the time. If God just joining man and woman, I, I, it's crazy. But listen, we serve that sort of crazy, awesome God. It's pretty awesome. Yeah, so it's interesting. I, as you were talking, I was thinking about I, reading Jim Elliott's journals, which reading anyone's journals, especially someone who's as prolific of a writer as him, it can be a little bit mind-numbing because there's so much in there. But I remember being kind of surprised by him, and he, he was a young man at the time. He was he was very committed to missions um, and, and really convinced that he was probably going to die as a missionary, and so he did not want to be married. And then why? Watching how God, as he brought Elizabeth into his life first as a friend and both of them being committed to singleness and then how God had to break that down to make them them single. It was a process. And and I know you well enough to know that and, and I've read your books. Um, I should I haven't read them all, but I've definitely read Stripped and Thrive and and seen your how from those pages, how God is, is what you're describing hasn't been just like, hey, one day you woke up and said, this is what God's doing. It's, it's been a process in your life. What kind of advice could you give to someone who's maybe listening? They're serving in missions and they're struggling with some of those exact same things of God's will. And how, how has God done that in your life? And was it just a, a switch that flipped or is it a daily process in your life? Yeah, this, it is a process. I, I, I am, I am a naturally argumentative, willful person, and and some people more so than others. I, I'm an ER doctor, so to picture that. So already, I think I know how it's going to need to work out. And and you bring that to faith, and you train that to, to be a doctor. So, so there's a lot of overlap. It becomes who you are in a certain degree, to a certain degree. And so it is not uncommon for me. I think 
I sometimes say, I wish I was one of those easygoing, like, yes, I believe all that, you know, I've wrestled for belief. I've wrestled for faith. Intellectually, I've, believe, I've, I've acquiesced with the truth of the gospel, but emotionally I've, I've wrestled, I think. And so must, you know, I picture myself a lot more like, like in, in my mind, it's always sort of like, I always wrestle with wanting it to be black or white, like, you know, and, and not just as it pertains to singleness, but even more as it has pertained to my ministry. Like, I believe God is going to do X, Y, Z. And when he doesn't, I think, well, then he must not want me to do this thing. And, and it's not always this black or white. There is a process. And I think part of this process is wrestling with God for his goodness. I was going to say for truth, but really it's not so much for truth. I think most of us intellectually understand the truth who are now following Jesus. Like, I think, you know, I don't wake up and go, is, is there a Trinity? Like, did Jesus die for us? Is he risen? You know, like these are basic truths. We believe them, but we wrestle for believing the goodness of God, sort of the C.S. Lewis story where, you know, I think it's Jill who wants to come and have a drink of the water and the lions there is, you know, can I have it? You know, and he, she wants to go find another well and there is no other well. That whole sort of, you know, and asking, is he good? And, and, and that conversation that I think Lewis does so well to, to point to. And I think, I think my life has had a lot and continues to have a lot of wrestling over this. And, and, but you can't, I think you, you can't be a Christian and live the Christian life and not ultimately land on, oh my gosh, yes, he is so good. And and, and, and without changing, I think so many people now uh, we see in our culture are changing the content of scripture in order to explain the goodness of God. And I think that is disastrous. I really do. And I think that that is not just disastrous, it's evil, because I don't think you, you, God is so good that you're going to see it. So wrestle through it, be willing to do the work. And honestly, some of that work is messy in the middle. And, and, and while you're wrestling in it, you don't have to, I think the, the danger of, again, 2018 social media is we feel like we have to take our wrestling public. I think the greatest gift that has happened to me is that I was born in a time when, when I didn't, we didn't have social media. So like my singles wrestling happened privately in my journals. I, it's ironic if you look at journaling, I, I, I wonder if it's gone less with social media because so much of our thoughts we want to put on social media. And I think, I think that's dangerous. Lamentations three has always been so powerful to me. And, and not just the part where it says God's mercies are true, true every day, but then you go on to say that, but you know, if, if you're given it to speech, put your mouth in the dust, there may yet be hope and, and sort of stop from talking. And, and I mean, for someone who likes to talk a lot, I'm a verbal processor, which by the way, talk about the challenges of singleness. I think that if you're a verbal processor, you have no one to really talk it out with. So you have to find someone. You have to have a sister. For me, Diana, my sister is that person who hears a lot of my verbal stuff. My nephews have been, you know, sorry recipients of my verbal processing. My four-year-old nephew hears about my existentialist crises every few months. You know, I can't mess them up for life. But, but I mean, I think, you know, I think, um, I think wrestle with it. That's okay. Because God is so true and so good that as long as you, as long as you wrestle underneath this, you know, be submissive to the word, as long as you wrestle with an attitude of, all right, God, here's your word. Now show me who you are. And, um, it's like any relationship, you know, there are, there are moments of, of strain, but God will show his colors. He'll show his goodness to us. And he has for me. And, and, um, and yeah, I, I don't know that I can say too much more about that is that I found him to be so good and continue to have issues in my life that I bring to him. And, and with every passing year, I, I see that I still wrestle, but it's different because now I approach it with, all right, the premise is he's good. Before I used to even go, is he really good? Now it's like, I, I know he is. He is faithful. He's good. Now let's figure this out. And yeah. that changes the tone of your, your heart and what's happening inside. Yeah, I. Uh, so, so two things that I love about your approach. I mean, one, um, you you don't have a purely 
uh, sort of utilitarian approach to singleness. In other words, your only approach isn't just, well, now I have more time to do stuff for God. I mean, you're at, at root, you're talking about I'm fulfilled in Christ. You know, I, I have my identity that's in Christ. Um, but you know, another one of the themes that you do talk about a lot in the book is the freedom that you have. And some of those things that you mentioned earlier, you, you can be fully devoted to God and you can, you know, you can have cheese on white bread for dinner if you want to. Although I don't know why anyone would un- want to do that. A little bit of her green day <laughs> background there. Yeah. Cheese I choose head. Swiss cheese at pita, but yeah, <laughs> like, um, like a panini. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Uh, well, and, and what's cool about the book is I love the section at the end where you rattle off all of these single missionaries who were able to just have a, uh, an insane impact. Um, David Brainerd, Amy Carmichael, your, your list goes on and you talk about the singleness that all of these people had. Um, so for you, what specifically does that look like? What are some things that you're able to do in ministry that you couldn't be doing as a married person? And what is it about right. singleness that really has uniquely uh, empowered uh, you and a lot of other people to engage in cross-cultural ministry specifically? Yeah. Uh, well, I mean, uh, I, part of my cross-cultural ease is probably also being born in another country. I think I've, I, I sort of don't think about the value that that, you know, it's just there. Like I'm, I'm easy to, to travel easy, but, but, but I do think that, so being single is huge in that regard. I, um, I, I, I mean, being single, you basically just have, God has to tell you to do something and you can say yes or no. And it's like the invitation's there, right? You know, you really don't have to, I mean, you have to work out work and, and finances, but even in that regard, you don't have to check with anyone about what you'll do with the extra 500 bucks that you might have at the end of a certain seat. Tax returns come through. Okay. Now you've got your tax return. I mean, and, and, and I understand that I'm a physician. And so I've had some financial benefits, I think that a lot of singles don't have. And so I'm very, I understand that I'm sensitive to that, but even little things like that. And, and incidentally, I'll say one little caveat, single moms, single parents are in a sort of unique category. I think, I don't think that's as easy as being single. In fact, I would argue that's the hardest form of, of, of life that God has put people in, in the sense that now you're carrying a load that, that it was meant for two people. And yet God is a God who redeems us in our difficulties. And so I, I still think there's so much hope and so much usefulness, but just a different way. So, so the, you might not, so if you're a single person, single mom or single dad listening to this, you might not feel that freedom understood, not only understood, but I actually think it's, it would be crazy if you felt like, Oh, I'm free to go anywhere. You, it, you're not going to have that. But for, and, and incidentally, another little incident footnote, the majority of singles in the United States, and I mentioned earlier, 52% of Americans are now single. The majority of those are actually never married. Now, I don't know offhand that what percentage are actually also single parents, but I would say again, so that's not the, the main fiber of singleness in the United States is still the person like me, never married, doesn't have a family. So now you bring in this conversation about, about freedom. So for me, I mean, I'm, it's everything. I, I mean, I, I, I do tons of missions. I have from the beginning, from the day that I felt called to ministry, even before that, I started going on mission trips. My first one was in high school. Uh, before my, right around my Northland days, Scott, I went on a bus trip with high schoolers from my church youth group in Green Bay to Mexico. And it was the best week of my life. I think part of what's people, when they go on mission, we think, man, this is the best week of our lives. Part of it is this living in community with other people with a common purpose, which I did, uh, ironically should be what the church is about, living in community with other, other people for a greater purpose. But we are so fragmented and independent now in the U.S. that we don't see that play out very naturally in the local church, but we see it immensely. So when we get with a group of 10, 15, 20 people and we go somewhere and we are so focused on 
kingdom work. And we're praying together and we're in it together. And we're eating together. It's really, it's almost like having a, you know, crazy church on steroids, you know, for that week. And so we come back, so rejuvenated and, and so wanting to do more of it. And so I became addicted to that. And as a single, I sort of started going, you know, every year I would schedule for my vacation time, I would schedule a mission trip and be, they became medical because I could do medical. And I had people who would be like, organize the trip. And I would just go. So I went to Venezuela a couple of times. I was in uh, the jungle in Venezuela when 9-11 happened. And I remember uh, waiting in the jungle for the little Cessna that would take us back. And they weren't sure if they could fly it because it, it affected us even back there. And then in the last three years, God just diverting my life over to the Middle East again that I never saw coming and came out of a church disappointment. I left my church and was heartbroken over it and didn't know what God would do next in the ministry. I felt like it would impact my ministry to leave my church. And I wrestled with God for a small season and God just started opening doors um, to do missions in um, Lebanon for, with Syrian refugees. So every three months now we go back every three or four months and I do clinics. Um, we've set up now a year long clinic that a woman runs when we're not there. She's uh, immensely gifted and just an awesome person. And, uh, and so now you talk about freedom every three months I go for a week to Lebanon to, to, to do missions. I mean, that's how can a married person really do it? And the, the couple that I go with, who's a dentist and his wife, they're married, but they are retired. And so they're 60 and they've been able to have grown kids who now are married and whatnot. And so, and now, you know, they're dealing with some health issues with their daughter, but just to say like, and so this is again, impacting their ability to go regularly. So often the husband goes and the wife stays home to take care of the daughter. So I don't have to worry about things like that. And this is a little bit of a side note, but you also have a ministry in Arabic um, as well, right? Yeah. Yeah. It's cool. You know how God got me to the Middle East. There's always a story. I just think it's, again, you go back to it. God is so awesome and he's so sovereign. Like, you know, and, 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 and I'll start by saying, I don't see it when I'm like, when I'm living it, I'm always like the person going, why isn't God doing anything in my ministry? Look at their ministry. They're selling more books. They're speaking to more people. They're winning more people to Jesus. I watched Billy Graham last night and I was like, who could ever, you know, like I want to do more. And I feel like God, please open more doors. And so I'm always that person. But then you look back and you're like, oh my goodness, I didn't even see what God was doing. So I leave my church and I'm in this, I, I, I cried. I never cried. I went to dinner with my friend Tina and she said to me later, she goes, you had tears on your face. And I was so devastated over what would happen to this ministry living with power and how God, you know, how it would, me leaving my church would impact the growth of the ministry. And, and maybe I made a mistake, but I was so sure that God had wanted me to, all of that stuff that happens in those situations. And I remember, um, my friend, I went to lunch with another friend who challenged me. And she says, Lena, have you ever thought about doing an Arabic podcast? And I thought she meant like start a podcast in Arabic. She goes, no, no, I mean, just do one episode. But in my mind, I was already there. I was like, oh, I can do a podcast in Arabic. Bring me an Arabic Bible. And, and mind you, I haven't read an Arabic anything in 20 years, <laughs> 30 years since I left Lebanon. And reading an Arabic language is not like reading English, right? So it's like a whole art. And so I, my, my sister laughed at me when I asked for the, the Arabic Bible. And I opened it and I thought, what in the world am I going to do? So for a year, I did this weekly Bible teaching podcast in Arabic that's still available on iTunes. And and I would, I'm a fast talker, fast thinker. And so I would think through the words, like I, my brain was running. I would look up a word on the translator on my phone if I couldn't think of it in Arabic. Well, well, at that time I was not doing missions in, in the Middle East. And, but God was planting the seed of saying, okay. And in my mind, I wasn't seeing the movement that I wanted to see in the U S. And so I thought, well, maybe God wants me to throw my net on the other side of the boat and reach other peoples. And so I thought, well, I speak Arabic. And so I was sort of praying through that. And as that you're 
went on, I was offered an opportunity to go to Jordan to do sort of a vision trip. The refugee crisis was just, was just starting. Mafrak, it was a big town that we landed in and, and tried to get into the tent community and couldn't because of the, um, uh, they were, the UN had guarded, like basically you couldn't go in without any special papers. And so the following months I went to Lebanon and sort of, I called it, I went on my own and I, people were like, why are you going? I was like, it's a vision trip because I had no idea what I was doing. And so I landed in Lebanon just to sort of say, okay, God, I'm here now. Show me what you want me to do. And he did. He, he landed me uh, in connection with a publisher that got, that basically started the process of getting my books published in Arabic. And part of the process of that was also to do some conferences there. We've done two already to singles and, had I not taught in Arabic for a year, I would have had no ability, I guarantee you, to show up and teach a conference in Arabic. And um, the Lebanese speak some uh, English, so God was very forgiving. But even the first time, my worry wasn't even so much. I mean, we grew up speaking Arabic. I'm fluent in the regular language, but the faith language was foreign to me. My church experience and prayer language was English. So this was a huge transition. And I was worried with the spirit, like would I have the freedom to teach in Arabic like I do in English. I'm very, you know, I, I don't write my sermons. I, I just speak up from the, you know, I have an outline. I work off of an outline. I thought, would that translate in Arabic? And man, the spirit of God just moved so much. They still, I was there in January and this young adults that were in the church, they were like, man, when are you going to do another one? We just miss it so much. And God is still reaping fruit of that work. And and now we're looking at going to Egypt and Iraq. We're praying through some opportunities. So it's been, it's been fun to watch God you know, grow this ministry that again, as a married, I, my sister went with me to Lebanon on one of the trips and, you know, they can't go every three months. Whereas I just pick up my bag and I don't even think about it anymore. I just get on a plane, two stops. I'm there and, um, and just see what God will do. Well, and you know, that, that leads to a question that I really do want to ask. And, uh, I'm sure there's probably people in our audience, uh, who would be in similar situations, um, Lena, what would you say to a single person who's wondering whether or not God has maybe kept them single so that they can engage in missions? Uh, some people think about that sometimes and, and they maybe reach the conclusion, you know, maybe God is, has uh, left me in a state of singleness so that I can be devoted to cross-cultural ministry. Or on the flip side, um, maybe somebody in a similar situation, they, they feel like they have to choose between cross-cultural ministry and marriage. Maybe there's someone in their life that they're romantically interested in who isn't as missions-minded. Um, what, what words of wisdom would you give to them? I think the problem with thinking that way about God is it becomes almost like, like, what if you don't feel called to missions? And then if you're single, you're like, maybe God kept me for missions, but you don't want to do missions. And so it became, God becomes the adversary almost like it's almost like a punishment. Now I have to do, now there's two things I don't want to do. I don't want to be single and I don't want to be <laughs> Great a missionary. Point. So like, Great point. You know, and then you're like, forget it. I don't want to be a Christian anymore. And, and, and who has had these thoughts at times? And yeah. And so I don't think, you know, I think, this verse, like this cheesy verse that all singles, like delight yourself in the Lord, he'll give you the desires of your heart. I mean, people wrestle with that verse because they're like, well, my desire is to be married and, and, and I've delighted in the Lord. And he's, and, and I, I think the older you get, the better that verse gets. I really do think that because at, at 20, you don't see past the desires of your heart. Like you can't, you can't, you say you're delighting in God, but you're not, because if you were, you wouldn't have the wrestling match at you. So I think the older you get, the more content, I think in single, there is, I do think there's a contentedness that happens as you're surrendering their daily to the Lord. Cause I know of 60 year olds who are not content in their singleness and, but, and they, they try to tell me, and I've, I speak at conferences like, I'm, I have, I am content, but you know, they wrestle with their saying, I'm like, no, if you were content, you wouldn't be wrestling. I mean, there is a certain amount of peace that comes with saying yes to the Lord in the season that you're in. But I think there two are separate things. You can be a great missionary who is married, or you can be a, a horrible, you know, single person at home and vice versa. Like, I think 
uh, I think it ultimately all has to do with the state of your heart with the Lord. Now, does God allow, like, has God allowed me to be single for longer now to accomplish things that I might not be able to accomplish as a married? Absolutely. But has God used them, like Jim, Elizabeth Elliot, like Nancy and uh, Robert Wolgamuth? I mean, has God been able to take two single people or like Nancy, he, he used to be married, whereas like a single person who is extremely fruitful for the gospel and then still make them extremely fruitful as marriage? Absolutely. I think honestly, though, I mean, I do think God created us with the intention to bring man and woman together in a marital relationship. And of course, sin has marred that in many ways, which is beyond the scope of this particular uh, podcast. But we see the brokenness of, of marriage as a whole and, and the wrestling, even in marriage, I think so much strain in marriage happens because of sin. And, and so for singles, you know, we're, we're given a reprieve from that wrestling. And so now our wrestling is in some ways easier. All you have to do is just submit to the Lord for the season that he has you in. And you do it because again, you go back to what I said at the beginning, you believe that God is good and that he's able. And that in the moment that he thinks you're ready, he'll bring the right person. And I see it happen all of the stinking time. I have, I spoke at a conference last April with singles and one young man, Jim Fortas, he's, he wouldn't mind me telling you because he's a godly man, graduated from Moody, had had, had been married before and was long time single and, and looking and, and we would get together and I could feel their, their sort of frustration. This, these young single men who'd be like, man, we want to be married. We just don't know. And na 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 same song. And, but they were sort of wrestling for contentment and content. You know, you could see that they they wanted to submit, but they wanted to be married and working th- th- working this out. And in April of last year, I went and had dinner with the group after I spoke at a singles group and he was there and, 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 and he did not even know the woman that he now is married to and is back from his honeymoon. And so within not even a year, he's met her, they're married, they're happy. She's got three kids that she's bringing into the relationship. And I think, man, he really, truly is living God's will for his life. It happens quickly. And so if you're skeptical listening, going, yeah, not me, you're wrong. God does what he thinks is right in the right time. You just stay connected to him and continue to have this heart of surrender, no matter the season you're in. I have another, I have a follow-up question that I realize we're going to have to be careful with time, but, but I think this is important too, because, um, you know, a lot of people are married (laughs) and, and in some ways the world has been built to accommodate that. And, uh, especially the Christian world. I remember hearing Christopher Yuan. I don't know if you know him. Uh, he was at Moody for a number of years and, and, um, speaks a lot on on homosexuality and, and and then singleness. And he was talking about his own journey, how he came to Christ out of a gay lifestyle, but, but talking about how the church, if they're going to call people, whether that's to, to fidelity to Christ coming out of a, you know, homosexual orientation or heterosexual orientation, whatever that is, if you're calling people to singleness, you're also calling to like be holy and give up, you know, the, 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 the things of the world, like, especially when it comes to sex, that is just shoved down everyone's throat. It's like, this is just the way things are. And they need to find community within the church. And he said, if the church is going to call people to, especially people with same sex attraction uh, to live holy lives, they also need to be able to provide them with robust community and a, and a robust view of singleness and how that's lacking. So yeah. uh, to, to turn it to our discussion, uh, what advice would you give to, to married families, to couples, to, to you know, men and women that are your age, on how, and especially in the mission field where sometimes that can be tough because you, the only family you've got is your team. And, 
and yeah. and yet sometimes people can right. be intimidated about you know about bringing singles into their life. What advice would you give to married families? Yeah, about I, this? and I, I grew up in a very conservative form of the church where it's like you even to be invited with a couple like you always felt like they thought that you wanted to get together. Like it was always weird. There was this unspoken sort of undercurrent of oh you know be guarded, put a wall, and and which is understandable. I mean I respect that, but I also think it made you feel even worse. Like what I'm a single, like you think I'm gonna jump every person you know it's just weird like you're like it's not how it is and but but yeah i mean and by the way you could do a full follow-up conversation with a single on singleness and the church i think this is a a huge point of of pain for singles i really do and i actually do a once a month uh spot on chris fabry for an hour when this coming time we're going to talk about that because it's it keeps coming up every time i get call-ins this is a huge issue is they don't singles are not connected we're not connected in the church and in a society where you can church jump mega church listen to it on on the, on the web, you know, nobody even know, knows that you're church jumping. You're just not there. And it's like, and so it's hard. And so then you also, so we, that's one aspect of what you asked. And the other is this, how do you, you know, the purity and which I think every human on the planet in 2018 will struggle with sexual purity issues, married or single. And so this, the struggle is, you know, sometimes people think, well, singles struggle with it, but I honestly, I think it's a human nature struggle because we're in a, such a sexualized society and, and whether you struggle same sex or, or hetero, I think there's so many ways to feed the flesh. And, but it goes back to this vertical stance. Are you feeling content with the Lord? I believe in all, with all my heart that almost all of our sexual sin, if not all of it, isn't really about the physical aspect of it. It's, it's emotional. And, and I really think that so many Christians who fall into sin, it's some dysfunction with their vertical relationship with the Lord. Like you don't feel God is meeting your needs, any kind of needs you, even you have some, uh, you know, held on anger to the Lord. Maybe you feel a sense of rejection and you, you know, just, you just don't, God is not tangible in a way. I mean, his word, you can hold his word, but really you, it's just so much of it is, it's just, you have to work at that relationship. You know, you have to, you, there is a certain amount of wrestling and, and then, and being with God, the stillness. And, and, and that's where you feel God's presence is when you take half an hour and go walk on a beach somewhere and really kind of let the Lord be with you. And, and I think we don't have that in our culture. So we want to, we want quick fixes. We want God to just fix our sexual problem by removing the desire. But then we're angry if the desire is removed because we're humans and we want to, so there's so much baggage there, but I think it all goes back again to this contentment with the Lord. And same goes with this discussion of the church. Yes, the church has to change its stance towards singles. Absolutely. But if you're sitting there waiting for your church to change its stance towards you, you're going to be miserable. They might never, but you can still have a robust, healthy, God-honoring relationship with your local church. So for the married who are listening, people ask me all the time, what should we do with, with our singles? Love them. Love them. Open your homes to them. Integrate them into your life. Don't just dump them in a room. Somebody just emailed me and asked me if like, they want to start a single ministry. And all you know, singles are known to be so independent. And how does that play out with starting a ministry? And, and their concern is right. They might not show up because they might not want this responsibility of being in a singles group. But but if they are part of the fiber of the church, if they're in relationship with you, um, invite them to Christmas dinner. I can't tell you how many people called in at Christmas on my radio show with Chris and said that they were eating at Bojangles or something equally, you know, sad on Christmas alone. I could see Chick-fil-A, but not Bojangles. You know, right? I know. If they were like a Taco Bell, I would understand. But I mean, the, the fact is, you're right. It's like it's, it shouldn't happen in a church community. It should not happen. 
we've had so many of our great friends over the years be be single. And one of the things, I just want to put a plug for this, they tend to be our best friends because they're so flexible. I can call them up and they can come over. They don't have to worry about what they're doing with their kids. Uh, we can sit around and play games. Uh, and we, it, the, the flexibility of that has been great for us. Right. And I've had a lot of value to my kids' lives. Um, to have um, an aunt or an uncle that are in their lives that just can, can pour into them and help the discipleship process, I just strongly encourage married families to incorporate and include them because what a what a blessing to our family that's been yeah don't don't lock them off in a separate room somewhere and and uh force them to as one church that i was a part of uh, you know just eat bad pizza and play jenga all night it, it was yeah. so depressing oh my gosh it was so terrible it was until the oh. next batch <laughs> yeah. well we're for time's sake here i, I want to transition um to, to an opportunity for, for you to talk about what you're doing so um I mean, you've talked about what you're doing but how can people connect with you more i know uh your ministry is called living with power and if you go to livingwithpower.org you can find a lot of resources there your podcast your blog, but and your, your books are linked there. But but what are some other ways that people can get involved in your ministry? What if they want to get involved with with one of your trips or or some of the other yeah, teaching yeah. ministry you have? Yeah. yeah, there's a lot going on, and it's confusing for people to keep straight sometimes. And so we have everything under the umbrella of livingwithpower.org, and we have an app actually that also makes it very easy to navigate. At Living with Power, just Androids or iPhones, and uh, and 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 you can. My ministry is really global is sort of divided into two big sections: discipleship. And then the global outreach, which entails the missions that we're doing right now with uh, a lot of that. And so um, you're going to find everything on that site. But so if you're single, uh, you might find tons of resources related to Thrive and and, and the concept of thriving as a single. The medical mission stuff, if you're a medical person, we're, that would take higher priority for us than lay people right now. But email me and almost, if, well, any way that you can check that you can email me from my site comes to me directly. So the contact page or lena at livingwithpower.org. Uh, we have an unique, awesome opportunity in October. I'm going with Michael Reitelnick, uh, one of the Moody professors who has a Saturday morning Moody show. And he is, um, I mean, he and I are co-leading a trip to Israel. And uh, we'd love for you to come, especially if you're single. They're trying to get half of the group. There's like two or three buses going. They want half of it to be filled with singles. And so this couple is awesome. And so if you are able to do that, come. We'd love to have you. And uh, yeah, email me with questions. If you're wondering what resource would be good for you, if I said anything that might have connected you or maybe maybe you're struggling uh, with understanding what God is doing in your life and ministry, email me, Uh, go to the contact page at livingwithpower.org, send me an email and I would love to to just uh, be on your team to just help you navigate things. Just looking at that trip that you guys are taking and the background of, of, of you and, and um, your co-host that is exactly the kind of trip that I would want to take someone who's an expert <laughs> in in the Bible, but also in the culture and, yeah. uh, and navigating those things. It's, it, it won't be just a, 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 a Holy land tour. It's going to be really, it looks like an exciting trip. Yeah. Lena, thank you so much for joining us today. We really hope and pray that this is a blessing to the single and the married people that are listening to this uh, episode. So thank you so much for your time and uh, blessings to you and your ministry and all your endeavors. So much fun to be with you guys too. Thanks again for having me. If you want to get more great content on theology, missions, and practice, go to missionspodcast.com. And while you're there, make sure that you subscribe in iTunes, Google Play, or your favorite listening platform. And please make sure that you also give us an honest review and a five-star rating. And please don't forget to be sending your questions to alex at missionspodcast.com, along with any other ideas for future episodes. And until next time, thank you for joining us.